Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? Going good, as always. Also with us today is Aaliyah Kidd, multimedia editor for the Pulse. How are you, Aaliyah? Doing well. Good. We have a couple things that we want to talk about before we get into our feature. So some sad news this week. Doug Bouchard of Thumb Fun passed away, and we are we're going to kind of remember... Some fun, talk a little bit about the history of it and, and Doug's life as we get into our feature after the break. But before we get into that, we have a couple bits of news. And then also just, I, I really want to talk about all the new cool food that's coming into Door County this year. There's been a bunch of things at the end of 2018 and now starting in the early parts of 2019 and moving on into the spring and summer that have been opening up across the board. But specifically with food, there's a lot of really cool new options coming to, into the county. So, Aaliyah, you went to... Bagels and Beignets, which is part of Fireside's new Egg Harbor location, right? Mm-hmm. Now, are they are they part of Fireside, or are they just a separate entity that has moved into that location with them? Uh, same owners as Fireside, and they're also just located in that in that same building complex area. So, what used to be the Bistro at Liberty Square is now Bagels and Beignets, but it is the same same owners, Blake and Lauren Shar, and obviously the Fireside has been. Uh, around for a while and they've been really busy and they're usually busy of course during dinner hours so this is a way to kind of balance I think out their food and enterprise empire. So this location kind of like a little shopping mall in a way used to have the bistro used to have Galileo's there were some other like little shops in there that sold different types of things has all of that left and because it's, it's all new stuff for this year. There's Fireside is relocated there, mm-hmm. Bagels and Beignets, and then Spot is opening up their second location there as well. That's what I've heard. Yep. So that that entire place is now completely different for this year, right? I think so. Yeah, it's all it's all going to be different. That that space that used to be Galileo's, I think they're using that as kind of an event space for the Fireside. So I think they've already had a couple of big like hundred person events at that space. Is kind of on the backside of that building. And then um, yeah, Spot is officially moved in uh, Yenny Bexel's second location from her sister base, or I guess third if you count space as another one of her locations, even though it's kind of in the same one. And then if you go, like Fireside, when you walk in the door there, there's a spot to the right that they are also remodeling into like a loungy bar area. So that's going to be, I think they're going to have like a pool table and a little hangout space. So people waiting to get into dinner because they have, it's a smaller bar than the old Fireside and then, then and smaller than your traditional kind of like supper club welcoming bar. So they've created a little more space off to the side. So there's going to be even more hangout space. I don't know how they're getting it all done because they, they just moved down there, I think, in December. Mm-hmm. And a couple weeks into January had the Fireside open. And then a couple weeks later, now they got bagels and beignets open. Now, like, having done restaurants before, it's so hard to get one thing up and running, even if you don't remodel anything. And they've actually been doing a lot of 
moving walls around and and putting up plaster and getting equipment. It's it's incredible. But if you know Blake and especially Lauren Shar, like they're movers. They get it done. Yeah, I was surprised how quickly they were open. But and I've heard around just overhearing conversations that they've been super busy. Um, the the wait I heard at the Crest Pavilion the other day, somebody was saying the wait was an hour, but they were just just glad to be waiting an hour to get dinner there. So like the wait times don't even matter. Egg Harbor's been starving for options for a while. No, no pun, pun intended. intended. Yep. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, that's, so I think the the locals, especially in the wintertime when a lot of places close down, there's, there's Moto Roads is, is open, uh, Casey's is open, Shipwrecked is open, I think, on, on weekends, things like that. But it was always, having grown up there, it was always a bit of a struggle to consistently find f- food options open in Egg Harbor. So I think a lot of people were really happy to finally have something consistently. So I've been into the fireside a couple of times and since they opened up and they've, it's just been slammed like a summer night. It's pretty cool to see all these people come out of the woodwork in Egg Harbor. Yeah, I had never been to the fireside when they were in Ellison Bay, but my in-laws were big fans and said that we had to go try it. And now that it's down in Egg Harbor where I live, I definitely want to get down there. Like you were saying, having more options in Egg Harbor, especially for dining, is is huge because I find myself usually traveling to... Fish Creek or Sturgeon Bay or Sister Bay or Ephraim to find food. Um, and now I have I have many more options this summer. So Miles, you got to you got to try Fireside's new location. And Aaliyah, you wrote an article about bagels and beignets for mm-hmm. this week's Pulse, right? Yep. How was your experience there? It was great. Um, it was a very cold and snowy se- Sunday morning. <laughs> um, so right before, like they all are now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right before the roads got bad, we. Managed to get out of the house and go grab some breakfast. And uh, it was the first time in there, of course. So just kind of taking it in. But they have uh, lots of baskets of fresh bagels made in-house, uh, which I love bagels. So that was um, fun to try. We did the jalapeno bagel, which was you know, a little bit more spicy, but super good. And they also had some a variety of pastries, muffins, but then, of course, the beignets, which are inspired by the classic like Cafe du Monde style donuts. They're deep fried and covered in powdered sugar. So very delicious and kind of sweet start to your morning. Our beignets are like a New Orleans thing, yeah. right? Okay, mm-hmm. so I know that they're also doing like the, the special coffee that goes with the beignets. Yeah, the chicory coffee blend. Did you have that? I did not. Okay, I've I've heard that it's interesting, so I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to getting to I've try it out. I've heard it's a little spicy and herbal. Right. So, yeah, I have to try it too. Um, so when this, when I first heard about this, um, I was actually told that it was going to be burgers and beignets, which is a that's chain. That's what I heard too. Yeah, and that's a chain down in Fond du Lac. So I was like, oh, weird, that's coming up here. My in-laws live in Fond du Lac currently, so they were also like, that's kind of a weird choice to move all the way up to, <laughs> but makes a lot more sense now. My question is, because I, I like bagels, but I'm like a big bagel sandwich guy. Mm. I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to incorporate that in their menu as they move forward. I did talk to Blake, which it's not certain, but Blake and Lauren were tossing around the idea of having more of like a breakfast plate or breakfast sandwich on the menus. But right now it's just focused on that kind of grab and go style. So like the beignets are given to us like in a to-go bag, even though we sat and ate, ate them there. And then the bagels, too, are just like, here's your bagel, and you can go toast it and smear it yourself. So it's kind of a self-serve situation currently. But as this season picks up and as they get more experience, they are thinking of adding more of like a, a served breakfast sandwich style. 
but well, and the the grab and go thing is really cool, especially in the summer as. I feel like more traffic is going to move down that way, especially right. foot traffic, because the, the other thing that's opening up right across the street from them is One Barrel Brewing and Wild Tomatoes' new takeout restaurant are all going mm-hmm. right across from the street from Main Street Market. Yeah. Have you either of you heard much about One Barrel? I'm a big fan of One Barrel, actually. When we lived in Madison, we would frequent going to their first tap room, which they first opened a con- had to be five, six years ago in Madison. And they were a very small um, local brewery. And I know they've just expanded a lot ever since they first opened. And it was super fun going there. Um, Local, they're obviously um, beers that they brewed themselves on tap. And then it was very focused around having board games and everything. So I imagine they'll keep that vibe going. And that seems like it'd be a really good pairing with Wild Tomatoes' new takeout thing. Um, I never got to experience Dano's Pizza or Dano's Pizza, as I've heard it was pronounced. <laughs> but it's going to be nice to be able to just go down into town five minutes, get pizza, bring it back home, rather than having to drive to Fish Creek or Sister Bay to pick up pizza. So that's that's one thing that I'm really excited about. One of the things that's kind of cool with all this stuff moving back into Egg Harbor is it's interesting how long it's taken entrepreneurs to kind of take a chance on Egg Harbor because there's back when I had the pizza place down there, we had done a lot of studying around the county to see like where all the hotel units are just because we were creating a business plan. And at the time, and I think this still holds true, there are more lodging units in Egg Harbor than any other community in Northern Door. And yet all those people for, for so long have, my dad owns a motel in Egg Harbor and he's like, yeah, we just, they don't stay here. They come here and they, they stay in the lodging unit and then they drive North to go and do things and go and eat. And he said it's he's pretty excited because now he has more places. You know, they had a, a nice handful of places, but now you have like a critical mass that you can say, hey, hang out in Egg Harbor all day and bounce around. And that's the thing that they've been lacking. And there's actually like tons of condominiums around there, too. So even though Egg Harbor itself is like 200 people, there are that that summer population is so much bigger. And, and you have the largest resort in the county, Landmark Resort, with like almost 300 units is right down the road. So when we had a pizza place, we were running pizzas to the landmark like five or 10 trips a night just to feed that huge. And there are tons of families there. So it makes a lot of sense. And Egg Harbor Township has like another 1,500 people. So there's actually a lot of people in that that area. They're just not as crammed together as you are in Sister Bay. So I think all those places are going to do really well once those, like I said before, people are just looking for something to do in Egg Harbor without having to drive either to Sturgeon Bay or or way up north. Well, and it's interesting too, because like there are a lot of really interesting shops and restaurants and cafes in Egg Harbor that are kind of hidden away. Like McCready's Bread Shop. Yeah. They have a really great cafe and they do sandwiches and they do bakery and all this kind of stuff. They're kind of pushed back off the off of 42 a little bit. Right. Um, but then you have the Main Street shops yep. where there's a bunch of really cool shops and there's like a, a coffee shop in there now. There's a bunch of really cool stuff in there. But again, that's kind of, it, like it, it's not calling to you right they off just, the road. They built that the wrong way. What do you mean? They, I remember when that was built, it used to be like an open field. They used to do like little horse races in there sometimes in the summertime, I remember, unless my memory made that up. But they, they had like a, instead of putting it so all the shops are on the street and turning the building so that it was all this street side frontage, they put, they set it back off the highway and then had it go perpendicular. So you actually can't see the names of a single store or see a single shopping window from the sidewalk. You actually have to drive in there and park or walk in there. 
so there's nothing calling you from the street. So it's always it's always been designed wrong. So you just drive by it and you don't like I, I've probably driven by it a thousand times in the last like five years, and you just like never really look in there. Right. And it was part of that late '80s, early '90s. Let's build malls or kind of like small town versions of strip malls, and let's hide the stores off the highway. Country Walk Shops in Sister Bay is built the same way. It's located right on 42, but you can't see a single store from the highway because they put them all, they all tucked them away. So they, they lose, you pay for the land on the highway and then you don't use that land. Like we, they always talk about location, location, location is the most important thing for businesses. And then they took, those two developments took two great locations and then kind of didn't use the location aspect. Right. So. Well, Nature Works is the same way in Egg Harbor. That's another great store that's pushed off the highway. And I usually get there because you can drive in through like Fat Louie's parking lot connects to Nature Works. But then there's like another driveway on the other side of Fat Louie's that you can get to. Even beyond Nature Works, there's a whole little like strip of like office space or business space that I don't know if there's anything in. Um, and so that one in Nature Works is slightly different because they created they're like a destination shopping place. They are the place, they would be thought of more as like the anchor of, that's one of the reasons people go to Egg Harbor is to go to this specific shop. Right. Same thing with like Main Street Market is sort of your anchor. And the initial plan for Main Street Shops, which is kind of crazy to think of now, was Main Street Market, the reason it has the same name is Main Street and was part of Main Street Shops development. It's actually supposed to kind of like ring the backside of Egg Harbor. Yeah, that's why, is that why the parking lots are kind of connected? Yeah, oddly, there, there were supposed to be five buildings in that Main Street Shops complex. They built two and never built another one. But it was supposed to ring all the way around. This is in the early 90s when they're like, oh, everyone wants another T-shirt shop. We could have like 40 T-shirt shops in this complex. It'd be amazing. But so they never did get connected. But like NatureWorks, that building, coincidentally, is the not the main building, but the one next to it is the one I grew up in when I was a kid. And... My grandma used to live on the corner there. So that was like kind of the first shopping mall at the time in like the 70s. There was like a, a marina store. The library was in that building. And then the back was a uh, like a boat repair place where my brother and I used to throw hammers at the windows for fun to try and break them. And I couldn't get the hammer high enough. I ended up with stitches. It's a long story. I still have a scar on my forehead. But um, then NatureWorks came in and turned that barn. If you saw an old picture of what that barn was like when I was a kid, you'd be shocked that they that that is now a interior design place with like really expensive, nice stuff in it because it was a dump of a barn. So what, what's the, the building that's kitty corner to nature? I think now they use that as sort of like a, a design center where they have more furniture in there. Maybe they have some storage in there and then they, they, they might have like other aspects, but I think it's all like nature works related businesses. Okay. When I, when you mentioned Dano's pizza, we were actually located in the back of that building when that was in the late nineties and they were just, five or six other different shops in there. But since then, they've just kind of taken over the whole building. I'm sorry, what was it called? Dano's Pizza. I thought it was Dano's Pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then it's interesting how like the way that I navigate Egg Harbor has changed because I'm usually coming home from Bailey's Harbor and I usually go straight across and kind of take the windy road by all the farms and everything and then come out right on 42. But because of the snow, I've been taking double E a lot more because it's a straight shoot. Yeah. And so I will come home and then I'll just kind of turn off on that road that takes you to the Crest Pavilion. Sure. And then I'll turn down Market Street to get to Main Street that way. So, like, I, I've been navigating those back roads a lot more and seeing, like, the Crest Pavilion, I feel like, has extended Egg Harbor back off the highway more. And, and that there's some new stuff that's being built in that that's, area. That's actually an Airbnb complex that's being built. Really? Right there. It's, uh, I think it's like five or six 
Rob Esposito is the guy building it. And it's going to be, he's building it solely to rent out these single like studio apartments on VRBO or Airbnb. Um, Interesting. Yeah. It's kind of a, you know, Airbnb is going to continue to to suck away properties and, and units out of the rental pool. And in this case, he's actually building specifically for that. Well, I think um, one of the reasons I probably are doing that is probably smart too, because uh, I talked to Jess at the Cross Pavilion and they are, have 24 weddings booked at the Cross for 2019. Wow. So that's a lot of weddings. A lot of people coming into town who need to probably be really close to the Cross. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah 24 already. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. And, and just to see the the types of things that the Crest is doing. And every time I go there, there's, there's people there, there's people in the parking lots. And I go there a couple of times a week for printing because I print off, I don't have a printer at home. I use their printers it's right next to the post office. So when I'm printing out postage um, slips, it's really convenient for me. So I've been getting to go in there a lot and it's really cool seeing like different events and they have different speakers and all sorts of things coming in and all the weddings coming up is really cool to hear. I really like what the Crest Pavilion is offering to the community. Well, you think of like so many of the big gatherings that you've, like in my case, I've been to over like 25 years of whenever you have a big community gathering, a lot of times they're in kind of like dungeony conference rooms and you go to the crest and it's just the lights flowing in. And if you look to one side, you're seeing the lake and another side, you're seeing the orchard. And now in South, you're seeing the bluffs and you're like, wow, while we're in this room discussing community stuff, we're looking at like the three aspects that make people want to live here in the first place. So it's, it's kind of like in your face of like, it's all in the context of this. This is why we're all here. I, I haven't heard that come up in meetings and stuff, but it was just something I'm thinking about as you're mm-hmm. like, wow, you're just, the outside is coming in and the inside is coming out at, in that space. Right. Before we move on to our next little bit of news, I just wanted to, to clear up some stuff that I heard as rumors and things coming in, but new food stuff that, that's happening. So I know that there's a new coffee place in Sister Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you been there yet, Aaliyah? Yeah, uh, Skip Stone Coffee, and it's in a cool little space right across the street from um, Wild Tomatoes Sister Bay. They are focused on great coffee and self-serve coffee. They've got the lattes, espresso machines, um, as well as the different pastries and just grab-and-go type uh, breakfast food. So they're they're another part of Wild Restaurant Concepts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that in addition to the, the new Egg Harbor location and Skipstone, there was some thoughts about a Bailey's Harbor location, I had heard, yeah, I had heard that that might be a Beerzot location, but do we have any more updated information on it? I just saw a post not that long ago, maybe last week from Beerzot saying that they're still assessing and looking for a location. So I don't know that that, that's any. Yeah. The the Yum Yum Tree location is, or that, uh, the Wild Concepts purchase. Last conversation with Brad is that that is going to be a kind of wood fired grill sort of idea and concept. Um, so that is not going to be Beerzot. It, it sounds really interesting anyway. But um, what he told me is that he hopes to find a location specific for Beerzot. That's kind of his baby. He loves that place. And the reason he's closing it is because it's since it's connected to the Wild Tomato and Sister Bay, it becomes like an overflow of a waiting room for people to have beers for Wild Tomato. And so now it's just like, all right, we might as well just make it that. And we, we grow our kitchen space and our our usable space because wild tomato and anybody who's been there in the summer is just ridiculous up there. I was actually there on pond hockey weekend and we tried to go into Beerzot and it was packed. You couldn't walk in there and it was all just people waiting for a table at wild tomato and then a few people eating at Beerzot. So even in the winter, you're seeing that overflow on, on big weekends. So 
hopefully he finds it because I really like going to beers that it's a different I vibe than you can get elsewhere mm-hmm. in the county. Right. I love I love the focus on beer and their beer menu is really great. Mm-hmm. All of the people who are working there are really knowledgeable. They're they're all about the beer there. But the food that they have there is so good and so interesting too. And they they do really, really interesting stuff in that small kitchen that yeah. they have. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, a new location for beers out, like a bigger location, I feel like might it it might take away from me that cool like charm of how small it is and you go in and it, it's very intimate, but at the same time would give them so much more of an opportunity to to focus on the cool food that they're doing too. He gave the impression that he'd like to find another one where it would be a small spot. Like who knows how that breaks down. Uh, it's not my business, but that's what he indicated because he likes that too. It's kind of, it's one of those places that reminds you a bit of like a more urban New York City, Chicago yeah. vibe where you get the little yeah, more cafe. European too, just kind of like that small corner place. And then one last thing that that's near and dear to my heart. I ask every time when we, every time that this like new business stuff comes up, has anybody bought the location where the old cheese shop used to be in the confectionery in Egg Harbor. Not that I'm aware of. That is like yeah. prime real estate. I wonder why that hasn't been snatched up yet. I mean, some in some cases, the one that the couple of locations that people always talk about, Trio, has been for sale for a couple of years. Had a renter for a year when it was serendipity, and that that was a one year wonder. But it may just be people aren't budging on price. Maybe they just have a number, and they uh, like a builder just talked to me the other day. He goes, people up here, they put the they said actually realtors drive him crazy because he's like, they price things so much higher than they're worth. So they just sit on the market and the market doesn't move. And the owners also tend to think, well, I'm, I'm, someone's going to, the right person's going to come along and, and give me 50 grand more than it's worth at some point. Like someday that's going to happen. So they have that in their head. And so the same thing with these businesses, maybe, maybe the folks, maybe if they don't need the cash and if they built like in Trio's case, that was built in the late eighties, early nineties, probably early nineties. So it's probably appreciated a lot. So maybe they don't need to move it right now. Who knows? So maybe they're just, all these places are just waiting for someone who's desperate and just wants to get their business open and is willing to pay top dollar to do it. But you're right. That, that place that uh, used to be the artisan cheese shop before that, it was, it was a place called Sweet Basil for years, but that's a prime spot right on that turn right next to the park. Is, is that... Is it a similar situation to what I think might be part of the housing market up here and that so many places are secondary residences or or secondary businesses that they're okay to just sit for years because they're not primary locations? I mean, I can't speak for those two owners, but I I think that's something that you see all over the place and it very well could be. So we're going to move on to our next uh, topic. Thank you so much, Aaliyah, for chatting food with us. And we look forward to doing it again soon. Thank you. So, Miles, new... Has there been an update or, or more news available to us about the upcoming construction, specifically in Ephraim? Yeah, uh, and we can rock through this pretty quick. Uh, Ephraim, the construction was slated to start on March 1st. Uh, looking out the window right now, there's about a 14-foot pile of snow across the street, and that's what you see all through Ephraim. I don't think they're starting March 1st. I talked to Brent Bristol, the village administrator there. And he was saying that they are going to meet with the contractors on Friday and hopefully come up with a timeline from there. He said probably nothing significant earlier than March 11th. But when it does start, and we'll be updating this on the Pulse website as soon as we know what's going on, and we'll put weekly updates in the paper about what the progress in uh, Ephraim's construction project is. Once it does start, they're looking at a hard closure, so no through traffic north of the public beach in Ephraim 
all the way through um, just the north end of Moravia Street, which is uh, just beyond that little firehouse that's built into the side of the hill there, the old firehouse museum, the boat launches across the street there. So that stretch will not be open to through traffic. You will be, they, they say that you're going to be able to access businesses in that area. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work yet. We're still trying to get specifics on that. Does this stretch include uh, the soup shop and within things and Lightbox and all of those shops? Yes. Okay. Yep. That's so like if you breaks my heart because I got to get my soup. For those trying to think of a reference point, um, think Ephraim Beach, think uh, Leroy's Coffee Shop, Charnuska Soup Bar, stuff in that area, but it won't extend as far south as say like Good Eggs and the Confectionery. So you will be able to access Ephraim during this construction by taking a right by Good Eggs, where I think that's Brookdale Lane. And there's kind of a back road that 90% of people probably have never been on, but that does, you can get routed along to the the north end of the construction and come out back up by, um, say, like the town hall, if you take that back way. Probably want to look it up at a map because once you're back there, there's kind of some curvy roads. It gets a little confusing. But it is a, a pretty easy workaround, unlike Fish Creek, which really doesn't have a back road. So, so that hard closure, starting potentially March 11th, would go through May 24th. And from what Brent Bristol told me, extends through the weekends. Then after that, it's supposed to be open on Memorial Day weekend. And then they're going to have flagging operations continuing through the better part of June up to Fear Ball weekend. And then it's supposed to be open and construction stopped for July and August. But this spring in Ephraim could be a little hairy for a lot of people. And it's going to be interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm in best case scenario, they probably hope for a mild winter and hey, March 1st comes and we can start rocking. But right now I'm sure things are going to move a little more slowly and maybe not even start for a couple of weeks. I can't imagine how you'd be able to access those businesses unless they're closing the whole area off and then moving slowly north, then maybe you'll be able to get in from the the northern side once you go around or but if yeah, it's that, all closed and it's all broken up then I don't see how you'd be able to get to any of those businesses. Yeah, I mean you could do it possibly on foot. I think they they have talked about like all right, if you have a delivery coming, let's say a a truck has to deliver food to the soup bar or Leroy's or something, they might be working with those businesses to set up like specific delivery windows. Fortunately, March is one of the debtor months for businesses up here. April's not particularly great, so it's not it's not hitting like some of their busiest stretches, but it is going to be hairy. I, I don't know what it means for school buses and, and the routes they're going to take. I know the group I'm involved with that puts on the Door County Half Marathon, we are having a lot of discussions about how we're going to uh, range around that, both getting the word out to our runners and arranging and rerouting our shuttles to, um, you know, to be as efficient as possible. We'll get it done, but uh, yeah, it throws a wrench in things. Remind me uh, exactly the location. So the town hall area, is that before or after Wilson's as you go north? That's after Wilson's. Okay. So Wilson's will be part of that. Um, Wilson's is not in the the hard closure area. Okay. Wilson's is just north of that. But then it still remains to be seen when the DOT is going to start their work on resurfacing. Right now that's still out to bid and they haven't announced anything. But they are also supposed to be resurfacing the highway in Ephraim. So Ephraim Village is using a different contractor, and it's their own special project between the beach and the Firehouse Museum. And then the the state DOT is also resurfacing the road south of that project and north of that project all the way up to Sister Bay. So there's two separate projects. To, To most people, that'll seem like the same one, but they're on different timelines and have different 
parameters to them. So from a logistical standpoint, it still raises some questions about, you know, it, they could both, the whole thing could be torn up at one point or they could kind of do them in separate time frames. It's going to be hairy. Not everything is solid enough. I wish I could give people more specifics right now, but hopefully by March 11th, we'll be able to get a lot more specific. Once that goes into place, the official Wisconsin Department of Transportation detour route will take people, if you're heading north, you would actually turn onto County A, south of the village of Ephraim, take a right on County A, go all the way down to County F, take County F to double E, and actually come out on Highway 57 in the middle of Bailey's Harbor, and then proceed north to Sister Bay. So that is the official detour to get to Sister Bay around Ephraim. Locals will know that you could take what I talked about before, the back roads around Ephraim, or you could take, say, West Meadow over to 57. Uh, there's different routes to get around it, and we're going to try and publish updated navigational routes for people that we suggest in the Pulse. Um, but truck traffic, the reason that they, they route it that long way that doesn't make any sense is because they try to route the traffic on county trunk roads rather than town roads because they're not built to maintain the same, to, to handle the same weight of the trucks, but also the same volume of traffic. So it's going to be a fun spring. Have there been any updates on the, on the DOT construction plan? Because last I heard, they were trying Nothing to push yet. that into fall. Nothing yet. They're still, that is still the plan for the Fish Creek portion, but they're, they're still waiting. As far as I know, I have not seen bids come back yet and an official announcement on, on the new timeline. All right. Well, with that, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, our feature this week, we're going to talk about Thumb Fun and Doug Bouchard's life. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Pankin Island who worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan. And they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, like I mentioned earlier, some sad news this week. Doug Bouchard passed away. How old was Doug Bouchard? Doug was 88. So we had the opportunity to interview him not too long ago, which was really great. We talked to him about his life and his time. He was a scuba instructor for a while, right? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we talked about Thumb Fun. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about Doug? Was he in the Navy, and that's where he got his scuba stuff? He was actually in the Army Corps of Engineers. But his specialty was underwater explosives. Okay. So he was a diver who would work and set charges on bridges and blow things up underwater. And that actually, he lost a great deal of his hearing doing that back in the 1950s. And so by the time we were lucky enough to get a, a chance to, to spend a few hours with him back in November and talk thumb fun with him. But by that point, he largely, it was really hard for him to hear unless, unless things worked out perfectly. But he, his storytelling was still on point. He was still hilarious. He 
he had such a, a glow when he talked about Thumb Fun still. At, I mean, and it's 20 years ago. And you probably saw it too. I mean, he just seemed so, he, you could tell that his mind was going right back to those days and he was just whimsical for it. He would love to be back in those Thumb Fun days. So let's, let's go back to the beginning of Thumb Fun. When did Thumb Fun open and what made it different from everywhere else up here? Well, so Doug moved up here. He started teaching after, after he got back from the Army Corps of Engineers and, and serving in Korea. He went to Carroll College and then moved to Green Bay. He was doing sales and he was teaching scuba diving on the side. And some of these people asked him, like, well, take me up to Door County. I've heard there's all these shipwrecks up there. Let's go diving up there. And he started doing that. And eventually he moved up here and opened a dive shop, first in Egg Harbor. And then he moved it to Fish Creek. And his wife got a job teaching at Gibraltar High School. And that dive shop wasn't immensely profitable. It was located just north of the school, just uh, up 42 from uh, Gibraltar High School. And there used to be a driving range there. So he reopened that and that started making some cash. And then it was making more cash than the scuba diving. And then he started with some mini golf and that started doing pretty well. And that was around 1960, 61. And it just, the way he just described them fun, he was, he's called it a progression of errors, I think. And he just said, I, I tried this and I tried this and then I tried this. And he never, he didn't start with this. I'm going to do an amusement park. He didn't have right. this big plan. He just started adding stuff. And he said he went to a, I think he said he went to like a, an amusement park convention. Yep. He went to several of them yeah. and he just loved it. Yeah. Well, what I, what I took away that, that I really enjoyed is that Thumb Fun was kind of like, he, he would scavenge for all of these different amusements and rides. So he would go to uh, amusement park conventions and talk to people and try to learn as much as he could about different things. But then when he would hear about amusement parks in Green Bay or other parts of Wisconsin, he would go and he would try to buy any of the, the, the rides or amusements that they were, were, were putting up for auction. Or he'd try to find things that just needed like some repairs and then he'd, he'd find a way to repair them. He taught himself yeah. how to repair all these different things. The carousel, he talks about bringing the carousel over, getting it fixed up and then having these two artists from Russia who were staying with him or, or were working for him or something do all of the, the paint job. So like that, that beautiful painting or the, the beautiful paint on all of the carousel horses were, were just these, these two Russian artists that he had here in Door County who he got to do it. So it, it's like the, the one man's junk is another man's treasure kind yeah. of thing. So he, he grabbed all of this stuff and, and repaired it and then turned it into something like you wouldn't see anywhere else in Door County. Yeah, it was it was really unique for its time. You got to think at this time you had like Aqualand Petting Zoo up in Sister Bay and you had some small amusement type things, but nothing on the scale of what Thumb Fun became. I mean, he ended up adding bumper cars, Tilt-A-Whirl, Scrambler. He had bumper boats and he had a, like a bouncy house. Like a, as a little kid, you'd walk through there and you'd have the midway there. And it, it really just felt like like a really cool county fair, but it was every night of the entire summer. And it was, it, it was like a step outside of your world. Like your imagination just kind of run wild, had all these games that you could play and win a stuffed animal for your date and stuff, which I never had a date. So I never won anybody anything, but, uh, well, think about all the stuffed animals you got to keep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just get them for myself. I, I, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, one day I'll get that big bear or something like that. Um, he had a little, like, I don't know if it was called like the chili pot or something like that, but he had a little like drive-in that was accessible from the highway, but also accessible from inside. And the, the mini golf course had this massive, I say massive. I remember it from when I was a little kid. So maybe it was like four feet tall, but in my mind, it's like a 12 foot tall Frankenstein on the mini golf course. 
that you could see from the highway and it just looked so cool and kind of scary and it went really well with um, what became like the, maybe one of the things that it's most famous for is the haunted house that he had there. And the cool thing that the haunted house had, and it took me years to be able to go in there. And the first time I did go into the haunted house, the first time I saw like one of their creatures move, I freaked out and just went sprinting right back down the hill. I didn't go back in there for years, but they had actually live actors in the haunted house. And that just, it was such a cool, crazy, freaky experience. Yeah. I heard a lot of people talk about how the haunted house was really like legitimately scary. Yeah. Doug made it clear that, you know, his, his actors were, were trained never to touch people, but to just scare them. And, and not by like coming out and just going, Rawr! they just by moving. Right. And you saw those eyes and you were like, oh my gosh, that's an actual person. It would just, it would just freak you out so bad. So another thing that I think is cool is they had a train that would take I you to different the places. Train. This wasn't like a, a big, tr- this is like a small train, right? That you could sit in and it would take you around. Yeah. It's like a glorified version of like the cherry train, although it was actually on tracks and stuff. He built the train tracks and he put like out in the wilderness where it would go, he'd have like a little petting zoo of goats and stuff. And, and sometimes he'd have creatures out there or maybe actors out there. It kind of maybe speaks to how much of a dork I was or a scaredy cat or just like not a thrill seeker is that like, I love the train. I love, <laughs> I love like the, the castle and stuff. My brother would be like on the go-karts. He's the guy who would go to like at four. He wanted to be on, on the, the big roller coasters at the big amusement parks. But like, I love that train. I could have ridden that all day. Some fun was, was a place that really had everything. They had a video arcade, they had the train, they had the haunted house, petting zoo, but then they also had go-karts and bumper boats, I think I yep. saw. Uh, and then I believe later on they put in um, like kind of like a whole water park and slides and stuff. Yeah. And talking to Doug over the years, I've, I've had the good fortune to talk to him many times. There was a, my dad actually worked there for a summer, which was probably the best summer of me and my, my brother and sisters, the what we called in our family, the three little ones were the youngest three of six, but that was the best summer. Cause we got in free all summer long. So we were there three, four days a week at least, but I never really knew Doug at that point as a kid. But then I got to know him when he stumbled into our old pulse office one day and he had read something I wrote and he just started talking. He's like, Whoa, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about this in a good way. Cause it got his mind going. And I think it was about housing um, at the time. And thumb fun used to have like 30 dorm units that they house people in. So we'd go out to breakfast and he'd chat and he could go for hours. He could, there's no slowing him down. Even into his eighties, his mind was ticking. I think his daughter told me that, or his, his wife, Robin told me like, he just, he always needed a dream. So he's always concocting new ideas and, and new businesses long after. Well, he, he, he seemed like an ideas kind of person where it was always the next thing. Uh, We talked to Andy Coulson of the white Golan, and he talked about how Doug would come in for breakfast every day and would always have this new pitch, always this new yeah. idea for something. And Andy said it was really cool to see Thumb Fun be burst out of these like conversations that he would yeah. have at, at breakfast where he's like, you're never going to guess what I got. I got a carousel <laughs> or you're never going to guess what I'm putting in. It's a water slide, like all this kind of stuff. And even in just in big like, risks, like that water slide, $1.2 million. Like who, who spends that kind of money? Right. But like in just talking to him, it, it seems like, even though Thumb Fun was great and had a lot of really cool stuff in there, Doug was the lifeblood of the whole park. Yeah. It, it was his vision and his energy that propelled it forward. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, he, he is that guy. He's like a born salesman. Like his, his daughter Peggy told me, he's just like a true marketer. He just, so he would be the guy with the ideas. He'd go buy something 
and then you know it'd be up to the people at the park and uh, his his daughter said he was really good at hiring good people and his, his daughter was one of those good people who took care of the details and kept things running while Doug went and found another idea or entertained people kind of reminds me of uh JJ who's like uh famous JJ's of JJ's La Puerta kind of famous with his wife of like coming home with like another piece of restaurant equipment or you know going to an auction and coming home like yeah I just bought a new restaurant we we have another one like what did you do that for? Right. And and Doug would be that. He'd just come home with something and now they added this ride or now they added this thing. But he was a great promoter. Like he would go, he'd be on the phone to, when he, when he died, actually, Jim Schusler from the Door County Economic Development Corporation used to be, uh, I think, a, a producer at WLUK in, or a station manager at WLUK in, in Green Bay, the t- television station. And he said that back then Doug would call him up with ideas and Doug would get all ticked off when they would report bad weather. <laughs> and he's like, well, we have to report the weather. But Doug actually came up with an idea of putting like a little weather ticker that would always be on the screen that like in the lower right corner. And then it would show the radar so that because Thumb Fun was entirely weather dependent. So we always wanted to sh- show what the weather was in Door County. So if it was nice, like people could get in the car and drive up and they and Jim said that became something they did at, at the station ongoing. So he would go down in the Fox Valley and go to big businesses and hand out free coupons for fam- people to bring their families up and go to Thumb Fun. He'd drive the hearse through the 4th of July parade and have his um, haunted house uh, creatures in costume marching down the street. And it would just like, it was such a, an icon of that parade. And it was so cool. And then they'd hand out like little dollar off coupons and stuff. And that was one of the things that you clamored for as a kid is to get some of those coupons from Thumb Fun. We talked to Ryan Hill, who used to work at the haunted house there. And he shared his experience of how a lot of his friends were working in restaurants. And I'd say that most kids up here do start working in restaurants. Um, And he said that you could make a lot more money working at a restaurant, but he had so much fun working at the haunted house. Not only just in, he said that he had limited engagements with Doug, but he really looked up to Doug and had really great uh, experiences with him. But just being able to do something super fun every night, you'd, you'd get home from school or after sports, you'd go to some fun and you get just get to hang out and, and work in the haunted house. And Doug employed both uh, young people and also older people to man the rides and stuff like that. So Ryan talked about how he really enjoyed getting to work with people who were older than him and kind of have these like good role models. So it was a really interesting and really cool place for people to work as well. Yeah. And it was kind of funny when we, when we talked to Ryan about that just a couple weeks ago and he just lit up right away. He's like, Oh, Doug's gone. I love that job. Like he just blew up right away. And we're like, well, we got to interview on camera, (laughs) but no, it was, it was a unique place in time. You know, with hindsight now, it's kind of crazy to me to think it ever existed. Like it just doesn't seem like something that ever existed in Door County. Right. But for 38 years, it was an icon of the County. It was something that this place was known for. And maybe we're starting to get some of these things back. I think, um, you know, a, a, a good descendant of that is a place like PC Junction. Bob Yeechee from the Red Potter is kind of in that vein. Diggers and, and Digger de Groot are very much in that vein of, of a Doug Bouchard. Or but, even like Pirate's Cove, Mini Golf, or the Egg Harbor Fun Park. Um, yeah. Sort of remnants of that same idea. And he actually consulted with Egg Harbor Fun Park in his 80s. Um, he, he actually talked to me once about like, maybe I could buy that and... I've got this idea and we could do this out by the road. And I was like, 
man, I wouldn't want to be your wife, Doug, if you're talking about buying and running an amusement park at 86. Right. Like, well, and that was something that was a big sentiment that, that he shared with us as well, is that he's idealistic and he's ambitious, but he's also realistic. And he, he knew that he had to retire and he knows that it would not be a good idea to get back into that work or, or to try yeah. to continue on. But at the same time, he misses it so much. He did. Um, you know, like in 1980, he lost his wife in a car crash. And so then it was he and his daughter, Peggy, and you could tell that they grew close and took him a long time to get over that. He told me once that like he thought about shutting it down. He was really kind of wandering at the time that his wife died. And by the time he started reaching his late sixties and he was, Peggy was in her mid thirties and working on the, and it was like a, a very all encompassing, all consuming job of running that park. And just recruiting the employees to run a place like that. You needed 70 to 100 employees in peak season. So you had all these seasonal people and you had to house them. So even in the winter, you're working nonstop trying to find those people. And he said he reached a point where people started offering him money for the property. And he knew he could never sell an amusement park to somebody. You could never get that. And he didn't have retirement money. And then he was looking at his daughter going, does she want to take this over to... He had to have an honest conversation of saying, do you want this to be your life? Or do you want to go out and start a family and, and have your own life that's not tied to my dreams and my visions? And Peggy, I think the way she said it to me was, she told him, I don't, I don't know that I do. And they said it was really bittersweet, um, really hard to do, really tough to take that last year and auction off the, the rides and everything and, and leave that property. It was probably, probably the right thing to do for both of them because when else are you going to... It bought Doug a retirement. And... Um, he was able to get remarried shortly after he sold it. But ironically, he still lived right next to that property right. the rest of his days. Right next to Like, he could throw a piece of gravel over the hedge and land where he used to have his kite shop and mini golf course. So he never strayed too far from it. Yeah, Doug was a really, really cool guy. Really just incredible personality. Everybody that we talked to, uh, from Andy Coulson to Digger to the people who worked for him, uh, we have another interview coming up this week because we're actually working on a project, a video project to kind of chronicle some fun, the history of it. And and that interview that we did with Doug is featured prominently in it. We, we just happen to be wrapping it up right now. So I, I think the timeliness of it is is nice. So look forward to seeing that. You'll see it on DoorCounty.com. It'll be up on the Door County Visitor Bureau's Facebook page. We'll share it from the Pulse as well, I'm sure. I'm glad that I got to meet him and that I we got to have that interview with him. Do you think Door County lost something when Thumb Fun closed? Yeah, I mean, we lost a, a visionary man with with Doug passing away. And I mean, we lost an, an icon and, and maybe an era with that as well. I mean, he was kind of that last touchstone to that. But Thumb Fun was, it was summer housing. It was summer fun. It was family entertainment that is in short supply now up here. And I think for a long time, it did impact tourism in Door County as a whole, because I think we got fewer families because that was just like a, an attraction in itself. And it took us a long time to kind of re figure our marketing to, to really play off the natural elements here as an attraction for families. But thumb fun was like kids in the Fox Valley dreaming of coming up here, kids in Milwaukee dreaming of coming up here and just spending time at thumb fun. But yeah, I mean, it's a, that was a loss. Doug's a loss, but you know, we got 88 great years out of them. So it's a hell of a life. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much, Miles, for chatting with me. And yeah, I look great. forward to chatting with you again soon. Thanks, Andrew. 
These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.